Hello and welcome to the Colts Podcast. Uh, this is the post-Halloween edition. Nate, did you do anything for Halloween? Um, not too specific to Halloween. My uncle was in town, so we hung out a little bit, but it wasn't too Halloween themed. What does I, not too Halloween themed mean? Was it? Was it? I mean, we went out to a bar, but we did not dress up in okay. costumes. So it wasn't so Halloween. We at all. could have done. No, it was not Halloween at all. Okay. So um, it was very cold. It was very cold. We made it an hour. The Ericsons made it an hour and a half, though, so it ended up not being that cold. Um, What'd you dress up as? We were the uh, Across the Spider Verse team. Oh. We had a Miles Morales and a Spider Man twenty ninety nine. That's Miguel O'Hara for those for the Spider Man people listening to us. I'm sure there's like three of you. Um, my wife went as Gwen Stacy, and then I went as Peter B. Parker with uh, the baby playing the role of of his baby in the carrier. So oh, okay. Yeah. It's very fun. cool, very cool. Um they get some good candy? We have so much candy. we have more candy than our family is going to eat. It's just not it's not all gonna get eaten. I don't know what's gonna happen to some of it. I think the kids will take care of that if no, you let them. No 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 nope. We've they, as, they have as in you're not letting them? No 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 they've they've not finished their Halloween candy the last two years and we came I would say we probably doubled it. Wow. Because we were out very long time. This is so, different than my childhood. Yeah, like we, we doubled it a lot. Like there's there's so much candy at our house. I just don't think it's going to, it's just not going to get eaten. Because the thing that happens with Halloween is you get all these, you get all the candy and then uh, like the next thing you know it's Thanksgiving and you still have half of your Halloween candy there. But like once, once Thanksgiving hits and everyone's bringing like Christmas uh treats and stuff like that and the christmas treats end up taking precedence over the candy they forget about the candy and like we have we have like an enormous amount of candy and we've already taken out uh 50 pieces for their advent calendar like Hmm. it's 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 not all gonna get eaten we're gonna end up giving it to somebody or throwing it away but Oh well, or save it for the fun next they year were, to hand out. They were very, very proud of themselves, though. They were like, "We got so much more candy than normal." I was like, "Yep, you did." <laughs> they cleaned up in the cold. <laughs> in the cold, um, the Colts also kind of took Halloween off. They had a normal Tuesday, like you did. Uh, <laughs> 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 that was the whole point of, of starting that. Cause okay. I, I, I didn't think you did anything for Halloween. I was gonna have to. I was gonna have to figure out a different way to transition, but it worked out great. Um, the Colts also took Tuesday off in terms of what everyone was talking about. The trade deadline happened. There were a handful <laughs> of deals around the league. Colts did not do anything. They did. They did not hand out their players. I. 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 I, I don't really. I should. I'm supposed to. Have, we're supposed to have strong takes on this. I. Do, I don't really. I don't either because I don't know that there just wasn't an obvious move I think they had to make at the spot they're in. I know there are fans who certainly believe they did at outside corner. We've kind of talked through that, and for me that goes way back or way earlier than this trade deadline, and um, that was that's more of a decision they made in June that, yes, they could have tried to rectify this week, but I just think you have to be realistic about where they're at as a team that's 3-4 and four with a backup quarterback. 3-5. and 3-5. and five. Five. Oh, that's right. Three and five with the backup quarterback. So even more so. And that's just like that's it's not that I just didn't think it was the time to buy. You know, it's so if it's not the time to buy, then the other option would be to sell. And look, if they had gotten 
some great offer on someone like Kenny Moore or Julian Blackman. Those are the one moves, or I guess Zach Moss. Those are the ones I thought had a chance because especially with those first two I mentioned, Kenny Moore and Julian Blackman, who are in contract years, if they were able to get something they really liked out of it, it would open a door for a guy like Nick Cross where you could lean into the idea that the rest of this season is about playing young players and seeing what you have for the future. It'd be picking a lane, and so I could have understood that. But I also understand not just giving them away if there, if there weren't good offers. And the same thing with Zach Moss is that uh, I think if they could sell high on a running back who's currently second in the NFL in rushing, then then sure, why not? You know, He's a free agent after the year two, and you just signed a different guy. But I don't know that taking something really low was necessary either because you know part of what they're doing here is they're, they're trying to protect Jonathan Taylor for the long run and not just run him 35 carries a game. So there is a value to having Zach Moss here too. So it was, I don't know, it was a weird, weird week for them to, to, to evaluate this all because the players in, in question that they could have sold weren't guys that I think were no doubt high return guys. Whereas like, I don't know if you had a guy like, you know, DeForest Buckner, who's, if he was in a contract year, and it was clear he wasn't going to resign. That's sort of where Chase Young was with the commanders. They just didn't really have those sort of players that were going to command. Uh, players who were free agents were going to command high compensation unless you're talking Michael Pittman Jr., and, and we could see why they'd want to keep him around. On the cornerback piece, um, I'm, I'm looking right now, or trying to look right now. I think, am I wrong to say that only one cornerback moved at the deadline? Rasul Douglas from the Packers to the Bills for a fifth rounder. That's the only one I can remember. I mean, Rasul Douglas would be an upgrade on what they've got going on right now. Um, but that's the only one that it, I wonder I wonder what the cornerback market was. Because there was a lot of talk about Jalen Johnson from the Bears going somewhere. And I wonder if, if, if teams had cornerbacks potentially to move – the fact that only one move makes me think that maybe people were asking for the moon for them. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, last year the Bears moved Roquan Smith for a second-round pick. I'm guessing they were asking pretty high on Jalen Johnson since he's still going to be under contract. Yeah. So, And that's um, the thing that is also that is weird about this for the Colts is if they were going to trade for an outside corner, to make it make sense for what some of the asking prices were, it'd be a guy you want to lock into for more than this year. Um, we saw a trade like the Bears did that kind of a thing with Montez Sweat. They plan to re-sign him. I think the Colts' hope is that they've got starting outside corners for the foreseeable future, Juju Brunson, and Jalen Jones. Um, maybe they're wrong on that. Maybe they could have done it anyway and got a veteran in there and, and not counted on Jalen Jones, but I think that's the thought process is, you know, it's one thing to fix the position right now, but – you don't necessarily want to lock into something for the future, too. Um, one of the things that we talked about on our, on our first impressions podcast that kind of plays into this cornerback discussion is sort of the idea that that that's out there that um, it's fine that the Colts didn't add anybody at corner. Um, the whole thing about this season was playing the young guys anyway. Um, it's just about developing the young guys. And we talked about this after we taped the pod, but I want to bring it up now. Here's the thing about that. Tony Brown playing doesn't make sense then. Mm -hmm. It doesn't fit that. Because Tony Brown is 
28. He hasn't played corner essentially since he was tw- since it was tw- since he was a rookie in 2018 with the Green Bay Packers. He's not going to be a cornerback for this team moving forward. Um, and there were multiple young players who are either developmental or guys who they can't figure out a way to get on the fields who would be absolutely be in the let's just throw them out there and get them experience and be willing to live with the mistakes. They they have I mean they they don't it seems like they don't really believe in Daryl Baker Jr. anymore just based on the fact that they went that Gus Bradley literally said this week well we don't know what Tony Brown's going to give us let's find out. And we know what Daryl is. Yeah, that speaks volumes about where they think Daryl Baker is. But I mean, if if it was about playing young guys only, Amir Speed could have played. I, I know he's only mm-hmm. been in the defense for four days, but like, and and then the, the ultimate one is just Nick Cross. Like we, we've talked yeah. about this before, but the ultimate one is like Nick Cross actually could be something for you in theory. Now, I I think that the fact that they're not playing him is starting to make me wonder how much the organization likes him, but. Um, or at least the coaching staff likes him, but like, like that's a guy who needs to play at some point. Tony Brown is not; he's just not going to be a corner for this team moving forward. So the idea that like starting Tony Brown is somehow part of their develop the young guys and live with the results thing, it, he's, it's not. They made that decision outside of the those the bounds if that's what they were trying to do i mean even baker like you would give baker another shot then baker's a second year player has he been bad yes but yeah they they started tony brown as a sort of desperate way to try to patch it together right now and that's you know and it didn't work but that's that was the idea is to try and win they really did it to try and win that game and obviously it backfired but um it's interesting with the whole situation with nick cross because i think coming into the year it was like they felt like they had this guy who was, you know, a, a piece for the future who was a backup safety. They trained him at two safety spots, and they started training at the nickel spot, and they thought, you know, we have a depth piece here, assuming that eventually one of those three guys between Rodney Thomas, Julian Blackman, and Kenny Moore will go down, and then none of them did. And it, it's ironic because all the injuries and instability has happened at those two outside spots, which is where they don't have – a Nick Cross who plays that position. Now we talk about they could make an adjustment to move Kenny Moore outside there. They seem to not want to do that. So it just seems like they've been waiting. It's weird. They thought there'd be an opportunity. They, they thought there might be an opportunity for Nick Cross by now. Just naturally, there has that hasn't come up. They haven't forced him on the field. Otherwise, what they've really needed is that help at the outside spots, and that's what's just disappeared on them. So it's it's just a very kind of oddly constructed roster in that way. And some of it's luck as far as where the injuries are going to be, but also some of it is we knew they could count more on Kenny, obviously Kenny Moore and Julian Blackman and Rodney Thomas to hold jobs down rather than the guys they had on the outside because one of those guys who started on the outside was Daryl Baker Jr. to start the year. He's healthy. They just don't seem to want to play him. So I think I, I'm not there yet on Nick Cross as far as them the organization feeling that way just because I think he's been caught in a very weird spot that the position, the three positions he's trained at have had zero injuries. And it's just unfortunate for them that he's not an outside corner because then we would really know if they believe in him or not. Yeah. They, 
Yeah, I guess I guess uh, make it clear. Just making it clear, like the idea would be you'd play Nick Cross at like the nickel or something, and then move mm-hmm. move Kenny Moore out. The other the other thing about is like I, okay, there have been injuries and attrition at the cornerback position. That's true, but Isaiah Rogers gambling. What month did that happen? June. So that's June. All of June went. All of July went. Players who are playing in the NFL other in other places have signed since then. Uh, throwing that in as like a as like a this was part of this team that you couldn't have fixed. I, that doesn't really hold water. There was and and then and then now there were guys available there. Yeah, there was Rocky Sin, Marcus Peters. Those guys are starting corners in this league. Um, and then. The other thing about like, like, if if you're talking about like, yes, like obviously Tony Brown, Tony Brown is a very very deep down cornerback option. But the way I keep seeing people say it is like, well, it's not the front office's fault. They're on this corner. Well, the front office is part of the reason that they're on this corner because they drafted Darius Rush in the fifth round and then cut him. He's not available anymore. They decided to go with Baker Jr. Those are not like in, those are not injuries. The two injuries are Dallas Flowers, Juju Brents. Now, I agree Juju Brents and Jalen Jones are playing pretty decent football when they're both on the field. Signing a veteran wouldn't like it wouldn't doesn't have to take away from their playing time. You don't have to sign somebody who's absolutely going to be the starter. You don't have to start them. Like it could just be somebody who's more competent if one of those guys is hurt, which there have been injuries cuz it's cornerback. There's always injuries at that position. I I just think that saying like they're on their seventh or eighth corner as if it's entirely been injury and none, none of it has been the front office's doing is is a little bit over the top. Like, I get it. They wanted to go with the young guys. I totally understand that that's the strategy they decided on. But, like, we have to be, like, realistic about how we're talking about this. Like, part of the reason that they got all the way down to Tony Brown playing corner is the decisions they made and the players they decided to roll with. Because... The players that of the players that came into the season as possible corners on the outside, Juju Brents is the only one who was picked at a place where you would say like they were investing in that position. Fifth and seventh rounders are guys who are more on a lottery pick, uh, on a lottery ticket. You're like they might work out, they might not. It's not a heavy investment, it just isn't. And you saw that because they cut one of them before he even played it down for them in the regular season. Well, and also they could have kept Darius Rush and cut Tony Brown if it was about playing young corners yeah. on defense. They kept Tony Brown because of special teams. And so then that's the guy they were left with to pivot to this week or, or wanted to as a coaching staff. It's just it's weird. It's the one position that the one position they managed in the offseason that has just really come to bite them because Chris Ballard did take some other gambles you know, on the offensive line that we were skeptical of, but that's mostly worked out. Uh, but it goes to show you can't, like, you can't take gambles at too many of these premium positions. They're not all going to work out. And when it doesn't work out, it's not just you're a little underwhelmed. It, it it can be the thing that sinks you. And I really think for two straight weeks, this team has been sunk by that outside cornerback spot. I, th- I think it's quite possible that they're 5-3 and three if they have, you know, a guy like, 
Marcus Peters or Rocky Sin, if they make a signing like that when Isaiah Rodgers goes down, I think they may be five and three right now. I know, I know that the 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 nature of the way things work right now it's is it's all or nothing, and it's it's if you're saying something about the front office, everyone's going, well, you're you're totally throwing out like the entire plan. That's not like we have to be able to talk about this stuff in somewhere in the middle, like they can be building for the future and still make mistakes with the roster they're putting out there. Like you just, the idea that the idea that it should just be like, well, it doesn't matter if every, it doesn't matter if nothing works out because they weren't expecting much from this season anyway. Like, I I don't know. It's hard for me to look at this in a, just throw up our hands and I, I think that the Colts did think that going in. I think that's why they made some of these decisions. But there's also a, a world where they're five and three right now. Well, there's also a world where if Anthony, Anthony Richardson doesn't get hurt, I mean, they didn't know he would be as good this early as he was. That's kind of why I think they <clears throat> went that direction is they had this 20-year-old quarterback they just drafted who – they weren't sure when he was going to start, you know, what this year was going to look like, what whether he would just immensely struggle because he's so young or or what. When he came out to start the year and was playing really well, this team starts 3-2. and two. Well, they were 2-2 two and two heading into the Tennessee game. They go out and they get the Jonathan Taylor deal done, I think in part because they're further along than they thought. And it was like you want to be able to give yourself the chance to finish that job. Now, look, Anthony got hurt, so maybe it wouldn't have worked out anyway. But it does, you know, I can see why there there could be players on this team who are a little frustrated by, you know, some of the lack of investments there. Um, just just not giving – you want to give them a chance. And if, and if it doesn't work out, at least they feel like they got the chance. And by a chance, I'm, you know, to clarify, I'm not saying they needed to go sign Stephon Gilmore and go all in for this year. A chance would be like a guy that, you know, a guy at a premium position like cornerback – who has a chance to hold down the job, like Rocky Sin, Marcus Peters. Uh, something to where, like, you're just not – it's not all going to come down to one position that you can't control. Right now it looks like that on this defense. There's other areas they can get better at. Uh, I think the loss of Grover Stewart is definitely impacting them. And their pass rush needs to be better. That's they. That, that was definitely a part of that game. But it also feels like the past two weeks – if if they don't find something better at outside cornerback, I mean, they've been putting up, you know, 38 and 27 points on top five defenses. It's not been enough. And that's kind of what it's like. If you cannot cover people, it's just hard for any team to overcome that. Um, yeah, the, the – that's, that's kind of just like – it's it's I don't know it's 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 getting harder and harder to it's getting harder and harder to figure out like how to talk about the Colts because like I think it's important to know like I'm sure like people listening to this are mad at us for one reason or the other we're mad at, they're mad at us for criticizing the corners or not mad at us for criticizing the other thing like that's that's the thing is like you've got people on both sides who want both things we're trying to find the middle of it to me like. You just didn't have to go with as extreme a, a roster, like you go with the young guys as they did. Like if you think if you if you if we take off the names, 
if you take off the names and just look at like the, the pedigrees of the people that they came in here with corner, they it's a second a, a rookie second round pick, a rookie fifth round pick, a rookie seventh round pick, two undrafted free agents in their second years as, in their second year as NFL players who had played not much on defense, like just like I I think in any NFL city that wouldn't be seen as enough. Also, I think there's something to be said for you can develop young players with the help of veterans. You can give them a veteran at a position that they can look to and learn from. For example, you know, back when I got here and Isaiah Rogers and Rocky Sin were very young, they both would consistently bring up Xavier Rhodes as a guy that they studied his game, you know, his his preparation, his day-to-day processes you know they've done this at other spots they did it at safety last year it's part of why they signed Rodney McLeod and he was supposed to show the way for Nick Cross and Rodney Thomas it certainly seemed to have helped Rodney Thomas at least get on the field and kind of stay in it just it helps to have somebody at the position you're at doing the things that that you want to eventually be able to do that even if you can't do them right now they kind of can keep you on that that path and I don't know how they have that at corner. Like there, it's a position that outside corner that when it doesn't go well, you know, you can really crush someone's confidence, and it just helps that veterans rein that in. So to me, even in the idea that you know this is a developmental year and they need to go young, I still don't think they had to go so extreme as to not have veterans who can help you develop players that are on your roster, or just guys who can play if the players that you're developing are hurt. Which is where they are yeah. now. We're not ready yet. Um, I mean, another piece of this, though, is the, the pass rush. The pass rush has not been um, great the last couple of weeks. Uh, yeah. DeForest Buckner is still DeForest Buckner. Uh, the defensive ends have fallen off. Samson Abukum, Quiddy Pay. Um, the hope, I think, for the defense. And they, we talked about this early in the season. Ron Miles said it early in the season when, when those guys were playing well is, um, you know, the defensive line is playing really well. We have to get to their level. They're, they're not necessarily playing. I mean, and Grover, Grover Stewart is a part of that, but not as much in the pass rush. We're t- I'm trying to keep this on the pass rush right now. It was bad in the run game. But they were down. That's one place where they you're not going to roster more than two nose tackles in today's NFL. And they're down their two nose tackles. Um, that is one where I think the, the full-on – and one of them is a great starter, and one of them is a clearly like invested developmental piece. Um, I just don't know, like that one. I don't have any major things I'm upset about there. Um, upset's not the right word, right way to term that. Um, it's hard to criticize but, the franchise but when the, the that pass happens. rush. But the pass rush part of this, the, I think part of the reason that they, maybe part of the reason that they felt like they could just go with a throw a lot of young guys at one spot at the cornerback spot and see what sticks approach is that they felt like they were going to have consistent pressure the last couple last couple weeks um and especially this week against the the saints just not getting a lot from not getting a lot from the pass rush quitty pay had three sacks and i believe three quarterback hits in his first uh, in the first three games, suffered a concussion and does not have a sack since then. Um, his pressures are, according to Sports Info Solutions, which is what I use, his pressures are um, 
I think like fifth or so on the team, which is not good when he's when you've got a starter um, doing that. They they need more out of their pass rush, especially with what they're working with in in the secondary. Because one of the other things that we we probably should talk about is that you know Rodney Thomas is is not playing. They they still like his potential, but Gus Bradley gave us a pretty strong indicator that they don't they haven't like the they have they don't really like the way he's playing right now. They said he needs to play with more consistency, which is kind of a coach's way of saying there's been some mistakes. Yeah, and he pointed out um, one play where Rodney Thomas, <clears throat> the early deep post Rashid Shahid, he pointed out that Rodney Thomas is actually the one that was at fault on that play and not Tony Brown. So they they do want more out of their safeties because they want the safeties to elevate these issues or, or help cover up the issues at cornerback that they kind of knew they were going to have as as a coaching staff. The pass rush is gonna is the part that you think you can criticize a little more because that's the invested group. You know, Quiddy Pay first round pick, Daiwa Dengbo second round pick, DeForest Buckner, who has delivered, but he's obviously a huge investment. And then Samson Nebicon was their biggest free agent deal this off season. Yes. So yeah, that group collectively and they're the group that's healthy right now. Just the pass rush part of it. Obviously Grover's the runs defense. Uh, you know, I was curious. I I pumped the brakes early in the season on Samson because he came out playing well, but they were getting a backup left tackle every game, and I just wanted to see how that would play out when he got starters because he was coming from a a, a spot in San Francisco where he he was playing opposite Nick Bosa, who was getting you know teams full attention, setting up one on one you know matchups for Samson who delivered well as a number two. I wanted to see if he could be the number one who all of a sudden gets either that top flight left tackle or the heavy attention of the tight end. And that's what he still has got to prove. It, it has fallen off a little bit these past few weeks. And then Quiddy Pay is just interesting because I did, you know, I, he plays well. Two straight years now he's played well until he's got an injury. And it can kind of throw him off course a little bit. This year's – it's just one injury. It was a it was a brain injury, but he had three sacks in three games and hasn't. I don't think he has a sack since then. So his pressure rate is now the lowest of his three seasons. He needs to get he needs to get this going. And so um, I was talking to him this week, and he's he's aware of that, and he's he's focused on it, and thinks he's closer than it seems. So we'll see on that. But that's I mean that I don't know what else they can they do to survive. This quarterback spot, you know, Juju Brents will be out another week, which was sort of the indication that, you know, that, that I got in a, a week ago that this could be a multi-game thing uh, for him. So they're going to be right back in this spot where either I don't think they're going to start Tony Brown again. I don't know how you could go back to that, but the likelihood means they're probably, I guess, they would go back to Daryl Baker unless they want to do the thing that that we've suggested times of moving. Kenny to the outside but either way they're trying to survive something they clearly don't feel good about at all at outside corner it's got to be on the pass rush to do that and can't just be on DeForest Buckner because he'll make some great plays like he did on Sunday but I do think his overall impact isn't as high in the game as it was with Grover Stewart out there at least in the run game for sure there's a place for teams to run away from DeForest so he's just got limited chance or fewer chances to wreck the game than he had before, and he'll still do some of it. But I mean, they finished with like two quarterback hits on Sunday. I think it was, and one of them was that strip sack. Like 
The strip sack was great, but you got to have more than two quarterback hits. Well, and, and DeForest Buckner is always double teamed. He's double teamed. He's been double teamed a ton in every game he's ever played as a Colt. Like someone, that, we've been talking about this with the pass rush for years. Somebody has to start taking advantage of that consistently at some point. And you know, the the production Buckner's gotten in the pass rush so far is pretty much in line with what he's done before. But it's going to be hard for him to be in the backfield on every snap because he's double teamed. That they're sending double teams at him as as much as they can over and over and over again, he's getting an enormous amount of attention. So, like, and and even even without that, like the the pass rush, you can't just be DeForest Buckner and every, and and nothing else from anybody else. And I think yeah. the the two quarterback hits thing. So I got curious. I was poking around yesterday. Derek Carr was getting the ball out of his hands a lot faster than usual. He, he was at two point five seconds this week, fourth fastest in the NFL. Um, and about two-tenths of a second faster than his average this season, which is a significant jump. Um, but the three t- players above him in terms of getting the ball out quickly this week, Josh Allen, Tua Tagovailoa, Trevor Lawrence, they were all much faster than Lawrence. They were all in like the 227 to 235 range, and all of them got sacked at least twice. All of them took something like... I think all of them took more than five quarterback hits. Hmm. So even even when the quarterback is getting the ball out of their hands fast, you can still get you can still get more pressure than the Colts had on Carr on Sunday. I think if you go back and look at like the Shahid plays, he's got really clean pockets. He's got really clean pockets. Um, they they the the thing with this defense is with with some of the the youth. It's it's kind of where where we were at the beginning of the season. If they're going to play well, the defensive line has to make up for the inexperience in the secondary. Because like that's a lot of what we're talking about is Rodney Thomas is, is still a second year player. You know what I mean? So for him to be struggling with consistency is really not that far out out of the ordinary in terms of developmentally, like what you'd expect. Um, even with Jones and Brents playing solid football, like they're still rookies. Like you're they're. No matter what happens here, they're going to end up having to make up for some stuff in the secondary. Mm-hmm. They were going to lean on the pass rush. Chris Ballard said he felt like, you know, they, they wanted to make investments in the pass rush to make sure it was consistent and deep this season. They're not really getting enough from it right now. I think part of the equation was that they expected to be one of the most dominant run-stopping teams that would naturally force teams into deeper dropbacks where – you know, you've, if you have to throw on second and ten or third and seven, you can't just throw quick all the time. You're gonna you're gonna have some of those five step drops that gives the pass rush a little extra tick to get there. And that's where I think the Grover Stewart loss is impacting the pass rush. Not him as a pass rusher, but the fact that teams are able to get it consistently into sort of second and five, or you know, they're able to just score from <clears throat> seventeen yards out or whatever it was with, with Taysom Hill. Uh, there's just there's some things happening that are not you know I, that are just really unfortunate. The run defense with Grover being out, Eric Johnson being out, they don't have a nose tackle on the roster, so they're playing Dio a little bit more on the inside. That keeps him a little less fresh for the pass rushing downs. And you know Zaire Franklin got banged up this past game, and and then the one thing that they have not handled well is a run defense is the quarterback run, and so that's. I know that's a point of emphasis because they're facing some guys who can uh, move a little bit more coming up. So they 
they're they're trying to get their pass rush to a point where they can rush and pin their ears back, and they're not in a lot of situations like that. And the problem is that you mix that with the fact that guys are so open on the outsides. They're just having a hard – like they have to win so quickly as a pass rush. So really like they're the way this is built, they need this pass rush to be excellent and not just pretty good. It may still be above average, but we're not seeing any of those effects with just the culmination of everything outside corner to – uh, to the edge rush and so the only thing that's going to have to happen is you know this is where Samson Ebicom, Dio Dengbo, Quiddy Pay, they have to raise that notch where they can't just be pretty good pass rushers if it's an obvious pass situation they have to find ways to win when it's not and Samson and Quiddy have both been very good run defenders but they're just gonna they're gonna have to find that way to up the notch and I'm I'm gonna put it more on Quiddy Pay because to this point so far I think Evidence has shown us that Samson Ebicom is more of your number two rusher, which is valuable. That's good. Um, but as far as who has that upside to go sort of elevate beyond these circumstances, I think it's got to be the former first-round pick that they drafted based on traits that they thought would eventually get him there. Uh, you know, he's he's the guy that I think, as he gets consistent games coming you know, off the injury, uh, he's he's got to be the guy to step up because if he doesn't, I don't really know how they survive as a pass defense the way they want to. From from a from a philosophical standpoint, they shouldn't really need to pin their ears back though because it's like the whole point of running the attack front is that you're not really reading in the run. You know what I mean? Like in terms of 2 years of talking to Nate Ali about it, like they should be able to be going after the quarterback even if even in run situations. Like that's even the way Grover was playing, you know, it's it's attack. Now, obviously, you're going to get hit with double teams at times, and you need the strength to hold up to those. But like, if you think about the plays Grover has made, he definitely is playing more of a penetration style the last two years than like the you know the three four sort of iconic nose tackle hold up to play and let and just stuff everything up type of thing. So like, I know you need to get guys in third down. I know that all that needs, and you have to be able to play the run well too. But like. Nate Ali is here and installed an attack front. I've talked to him enough about it to know, like you should still be making plays in the backfield even when you don't have, even when it's in run situations. Yeah, that's like, fair. that's the that's the that's the whole it's the whole point of the front. I don't want to give them. I, I I agree that the run defense is is not nearly as good as it was supposed to be. I just want to. I'm just pointing out, like from a, I don't want to give them the benefit of the doubt on that just because everything they've told us for the last two years is the front we're playing is to get penetration. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think really it comes down to they have to they have to win quicker as a pass rush. And that's where that's really testing your speed off the edges. And that's the thing they've got to show that they've not shown. So where they've done well is DeForce Buckner inside, obviously is a monster. Uh Dio I think has done some nice things inside. And Quiddy and and Sampson look like, you know, a little bit more of your power based rushers who uh, you know, they can they can maybe work in unison, but right now they've got to win faster. They've got to win around the edge, and that's where uh, one of those guys is going to have to step up. So it's, you know they are an attack front. They they got to play faster. They got to they got to win around the edge. That's not that's just not happening enough. Um, one thing that may help the defense is that the schedule the rest of the way uh, is Joe Burrow. 
a bunch of guys who are rookies or second year players or career backups or <laughs> um the, the quarterback schedule the rest of the way is uh not menacing nope um they got bryce young this week mac jones the week after that uh you have a rookie will levis a rookie cj stroud down the line aiden o'connell is now the raiders quarterback um let's see who am I, who else am i missing baker here? mayfield baker mayfield the falcons are currently playing taylor heineke uh, whether or not they're still playing Taylor Heineke or if they're back to Desmond Ritter by Christmas Eve, that's anyone's guess. Um, it is not a gauntlet of quarterbacks coming up. No. Um, so I guess I guess the thing about that is that there's a chance for this defense to have a, the sort of get-right game that they need. Like we talked about the – I think you I think you were the one who brought up the get-right game for the Saints on Sunday. That was a bad offense that – got the right combination of defensive players to have a big the, – there, there should be opportunities in theory for this Colts defense to get on track and kind of get some momentum going because they're, they're just not playing against um, a murderer's row of quarterbacks. Even saying they're not playing against a murderer's row of quarterbacks is like we're so far from murderer's row. <laughs> like if murderer's row is the, the 1927 Yankees, like we got to be talking about like – Maybe the early '90s Yankees <laughs> for the type of quarterbacks that they're coming up with. Oh, Derek I, Schultz. I Derek Schultz like, would know. Derek Schultz would know better which Yankees lineup fits this the best. But like, more like something between the Ricky Henderson, Dave Winfield years, Dave Winfield, Dodd Mattingly years, and then the the obviously the teams at the end of the '90s that won so many World Series. Yeah, I, if you lift Joe Burrow out of it, <laughs> the remaining group of quarterbacks are facing is more like maybe mid 2000s Pirates. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not up there. Some Yankees fans may say it was like this season. Oh, that's true. With Joe Burrow playing the Aaron Judge role, and then and that's all they have. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Well, it's interesting. It's like it's it is going to be a real interesting test almost every week because of that. Who gets right? Is it the Colts defense getting right against these struggling quarterbacks, or are they going to get right? You know, it, we we could very much see that example this week. They're going up against Bryce Young and the Panthers, who just got their first win, but very low scoring against the Texans, and have just been really bad in just about every category. But Bryce is very young, and it's early in the building process. So, what happens? Does the Colts' defense get right after you know a few bad weeks, especially a bad game this past week? Do they feast on this struggling rookie quarterback, and do they you know do they tighten up their coverage a little bit, and does the pass rush you know really take over, and do they get some of the turnovers or is this Bryce Young's coming out party? I feel like we're going to face some of that each week, a couple weeks from now. I mean, Mac Jones has had all kinds of struggles the past two weeks. You know, he's trying to get back to some of the play he did as a rookie. Uh, is that his get-right game? Or can the Colts sort of punish him in Germany? And it feels like the next two weeks before the bye are going to tell us a lot about the defense where it's not that, like, if they play well, it doesn't mean they're all of a sudden elite because they're going up against – bad offenses but it would be a huge step in the right direction and it would get them closer to the point where you know you can start getting some guys back Juju Brents getting healthy you know closer to the point where Grover Stewart can come back uh, maybe Eric Johnson's back you know they they've just got to 
gut through it for the next couple of weeks, and they have opportunities to do that against majorly struggling offenses. Uh, it's it's I guess it's a little different than this past week where the Saints on paper everything was very bad for them, but they had the talent. They had Derek Carr and they have you know blazing fast receivers, and it was like, is this going to come together? And it did. So, uh, so I don't know. It's uh we're going to learn a lot because if the if the Colts defense continues to really struggle the next two weeks, I think we'll know that like this is going to be this could be hard to turn around. I, my understanding, and this I'm basing this, I have not watched any of Carolina the last three weeks, um, but I'm just basing this off of what I saw from Carolina writers. I think Bryce is starting to play a little better than he was early in the season. The one time I did watch him, he looked really bad. Um, but I think he's starting to play a little bit better. Uh, but ultimately, ultimately, the Panthers are pretty bad. So, yeah. Um, the way the Colts have been playing, in theory, you would think, and they're banged up on defense too, right? They're missing like Jeremy Chan and some other guys. Um, mm-hmm. So in theory, you would think the Colts should should be able to snap their three-game losing streak. Now, obviously, the Colts have their own set of injuries and banged up spots and everything like that. But um, in theory, you would think that this is this is a chance for the Colts to get back in the win column. Yeah, you'd think so. Like I said, it's, this, it needs to be the time when – just narrow it down to that pass rush. I think the pass rush has got to beat Bryce Young. And the Panthers have one receiver who's getting everything thrown his way, Adam Thielen. Uh, luckily for the Colts, he lines up you know, in the slot. So that is a spot where if they don't shake it up with Kenny Moore, if he's the one out there playing in with those safeties, they're, they're at least a, lo- you know, a lot more capable there than, than they were on the outsides this past week. And so they can challenge Bryce Young and make those throws and connections to – receivers on the outside where Colts are trying to survive. But that's where, like, the pass rush can really – this needs to be a get-right game for the pass rush, for sure. Panthers have had a lot of O-line issues, and they have a rookie quarterback, and they don't have that perimeter talent that theoretically should just win immediately off the snap, that we'll see how the Colts yeah, there's, play. there's no Rashid Shahid-type speed player on this on the Panthers' offense, right? No, not at that level. Um, and and definitely not. You wouldn't take their top two guys over Michael Thomas and Alave, even with Alave playing very erratically right now. No, that's for sure. I mean, they've got, you know, they signed DJ Chark. They 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 traded DJ Moore to get Bryce Young. So ever since that moment, they've sort of been playing catch up with number two and number three receivers. And it's been one of the issues with getting Bryce going is he doesn't have that. He doesn't have a reliable outside target right now. So, again, this will be a test for him because this would – for the Panthers, this needs to be their get-right game on the outside going up against what the Colts have out there. And that's why – I think the Colts are going to be in a tough spot anyway. I don't – clearly they don't believe in the options they have at that cornerback spot, whether it's Tony Brown or Daryl Baker, or they try something they've never tried before. But – they believe in their pass rush. Their pass rush is healthy, and uh, yeah, it's on them. It's, I think it's on them for the next two weeks. Really, get them to. I think it's on that group to really help get this team to five and five. And at that point, you know, you get them to five and five, heading into a bye week, and you can get Juju Brents back. You start to at least believe in what what you have going for you. But this is kind of an hour and over time for them because if they don't if they don't do it now, it's just you know. It starts to make you wonder when they're going to. 
Colts defense in the spotlight this week. Um, headed down to Carolina. This is the last real difficult road stretch of the year because the other a lot of the other trips are very short. Um, Colts have Carolina, and then a couple of days after that, everybody has Germany, including us. Um, we'll be back with the First Impressions pod after the Colts play the Panthers. Um, and then, and then you know, everything headed into Germany. And then after that, the bye and a chance to take stock of everything. Uh, so really kind of interesting that the defense is in focus. It wasn't early in the season because of everything with Richardson and Jonathan Taylor. But the defense taking taking center stage right now. Uh, and we'll see if that storyline continues. For the Indy Star, uh, I'm Julia Erickson. This is Nate Atkins. This is the Colts Cover 2 podcast. We will talk to you guys again on Sunday night.